thinking about this property. Nothing, nothing happens in the PCA in terms of buying or selling property without the congregation. And so this is a total uh, back and forth, and we'll try to answer as many questions as we can. But this is a way to synthesize information, a way to hear what y'all are thinking and feeling about the possibility of, of City Light, and a way to continue to, the conversation. And so... Um, we will continue that dialogue and we'll, we'll continue to pray about this opportunity uh, as we move forward in the future. Um, secondly, with this uh, psalm, as, as we are uh, ending our, our series through the Ten Commandments, if you feel like you just need a little more, uh, a little more in-depth uh, study of this particular psalm, um, we have posted a link of another talk connected to this, to this psalm, and it just goes in more depth of uh, each, each theme that the psalm has in a sort of more lecture style, classroom style. And so if you feel like you want some more, please avail yourself to the website and our podcast, and you'll find it there. It talks about how to meditate on, on Psalm 1. So um, this is God's word to you. We're, we're closing up our series through the Ten Commandments. Psalm 1 is about how to get the law of God lived in your daily life. And so this is what it says. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, And its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So, one of the things that we do, we always practice here at this church, is after I read scripture, we spend some moments in silence. And what we're doing in that space is simply asking God to make the truths of scripture a reality to our heart. And no matter where you are today, you could be like, I don't understand what was just read. I don't even know where my mind is right now. Uh, I don't even know what I'm thinking or feeling. Uh, Even if you're there, God is God. And he has the power to make you alive anytime he wants, even if you've been a Christian for a long time. And that's the role of the Holy Spirit in a human being's life is to come into your heart and illumine the word and say, this is about Jesus and it's about you and how you're connected to him. And so when we're spending some moments in silence in that space, we're just becoming aware that God is with us. So uh, let's let's pray. Pray with me.
Father, it's good to be in the presence of your people. And it's good to be in the presence of you. Lord, you show us the the streams of life, the streams of living water ultimately found in your son, Jesus. And there's all these twists and turns that we have in our lives that make that seem like it's not real, like you aren't here. And yet you continually pursue us. You're always at work. And in due season, you say that when we are connected to you, we will bear fruit like a tree planted by streams of water. And so, Lord, help us to see you. Help us to see that the law is not a burden when we come to the Lord Jesus. Help us to see that this is actually true human freedom and flourishing to meditate on your law, to delight in your law. And that we can actually become happy. We can be happy people because of Jesus. So let us do that. Let us, uh, let us be energized by the gospel today. In Christ's name, amen. So when I was younger, um, I remember this famous illustration from when I was a little boy. Uh, lived in Georgia. There's a bunch of farms kind of where I was from. And thank you, Don Marie, Georgia. And uh, there was apparently a farmer named Farmer Joe. His name was literally Farmer Joe. And Joe's lines of crops were very, very, very straight. And the question was asked to Farmer Joe, how do you get your crops, your lines of crops so straight in rows that are just so, so straight? And he said, well, there is a massive oak tree at the corner of my property. And if I fix my eyes on that oak tree and I make every row of crop in relation to that oak tree, things get very, very, very straight. And one of the things that if you read, like if you were to sit down and read the Bible from beginning to end, you would notice that there is a, an object, a theme, if you will, of trees, You have the tree of life, tree of knowledge of good and evil in Genesis, and you have that same tree showing up at the very end of the Bible. And Psalm 1 is picking up on that theme. And the the goal is that when we fix our eyes on the ways of the Lord, on the tree of life, we become blessed or we become happy human beings. Our lives become ordered and clear and peaceful and full of healing. Now, we have come to the end of our series in the Ten Commandments, and here's the reason why we're looking at Psalm 1. Psalm 1 gets us to understand how we get the law of God lived into our lives, into our practical rhythms. And Psalm 1 shows us that, the, you know, really, part of, part of the role of a human being in this world is to be connected to a source and to bear fruit for the nourishment of the world and for other people. And remember, the summary of of the law was that a human being's purpose, that your goal, what you're supposed to be doing in this world is loving God and loving other people. That that's your, when you become fully alive, that's what you're, you're doing. And the summary word here in the law in Psalm one is this word Torah. Torah was the summary word for God's way or path to true human flourishing in the midst of a broken world, in the midst of sin. And the the idea is that of walking or rhythms and patterns that are already at play in a human being's life. And when those patterns get directed and focused on God, you can, despite various challenges and seasons in your life, you can actually become 
lasting and solid and eternal. The way you get this life lived is through delight and meditation on God's way, on his Torah, on the law. Now, uh, we talked last week, you know, when we walk through this life and we covet other things or we covet other situations or we want to be not where we're at and we're frustrated with life. A lot of times we seek to move out of that and grab something else or get somewhere else. And we've said that part of the antidote to that is this delight, delightful practice of meditation on God's law in thanksgiving. And when you see, you know, part of the part of the struggle with just being being in this world is that it's very easy to diagnose a problem. Have you guys noticed this? <laughs> it's very easy to just say, like, talk about what's wrong with with you or the world. What's not so easy is like putting something new into practice, putting something fresh in place. And Psalm 1 has this sort of eternal freshness that you can practice in your life once you've diagnosed a problem. And that's the real work, the practice of something new. Psalm 1 shows us how to replace our normal rhythms, our ways of walking and standing and sitting in the way of sin through meditative delight and thanksgiving. This is the wise life and this is the life that can withstand tumultuous seasons that we all must endure. And the image that someone gives us is that of a tree, a rooted tree. And here's what this passage is asking us to consider. Um, what does it mean? And this is what I, want to ask, what I want you to ask yourself today. Like if you had to describe, what is the good life for you? Like what does it mean for you to have a good life? What does it mean for you to be happy? The word blessed here, uh, there's two words for blessing used all throughout the scripture. This is the one that kind of means happy. It's the one that Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount. And what this psalm is telling us is that true happiness actually isn't circumstantial. It's not to be found in, in stuff or the attainment of stuff or accomplishments, something that you do. But what's the thing that keeps you rooted is actually God's way. His word. And with virtually any transition in your life, you got to figure out who you're going to listen to. Like if your life get not, it gets knocked about, and we've all been knocked about over the past couple of years, you got to refigure out, okay, who am I going to listen to? And what you see is in verse 1, if you look at verse 1 in your text, it talks about this progression of the cursed life of what it progresses into. So it says, happy is the person who refrains to walk and take counsel with the wicked, who refrains from standing in the way of sinners, and who refrains from sitting in the presence of those who cynically scoff at everything. And Psalm 1, verse 1 is saying that this is the cursed path, that there's an assumption that there is no God, and that there's nothing really to hope in, and therefore... I have to create happiness for myself. I have to go get it. I have to go attain it for myself. And look at the pattern of how it happens in a person's life. They're they're walking along, and then they're standing, and then they ultimately sit down and join with the view that 
God's not present. Now, most of us, if you just if you just ask yourself those questions right now, who do I listen to? What am I going to try to start doing? And then what am I going to make a practice within my lifestyle? All of us are answering those questions all the time. It's what we meditate on subconsciously. We're always answering that question. And part of what we want Redeemer to be as a community is that not just for like the first time hearers of Scripture, but for those who have been believers for a while, there's this continual wrestling in your heart with whether you're going to choose God's ways or your own way. That that doesn't go away, even if you've been a Christian for 30 years. That there is what we, what we would call a spiritual war going on in the midst of every human being's heart, whether it's your first time hearing this stuff or your thousandth time. That this is always at play. And the question that this psalm brings up is, am I going to look for blessing? Am I going to look for happiness horizontally? Or am I going to look for it vertically? That's the question. And that's because the reason why this is always at play is because the gospel is is needed just by those who claim to be Christians and those who haven't yet. It's always and forever relevant to every human being at all times. This is part of why we come to the Lord's Supper every single week. You can think of it as an altar call for everybody, Christians and non, saying we need this just like everyone else because this wickedness is at play in our own hearts at all times. Now, uh, if you're a Christian, (laughs) part of how you can assess this in your life, if you have um, been following the Lord, is uh, are you happy? Like, do you find yourself happy, joyful, People, I mean, if you just think about it, people who know God, who is the source of all life and joy, um, who will resurrect you at the last day, and that future resurrection has already begun in your heart, are you happy? I'm a sucker for Japanese steakhouses. And um, one time I was going to Shogun and I just I just love the whole event. You know, I'm just I'm there for it, you know. And uh, one time I was out with some friends and we're like, we wanted to have a good time. And the chef, you know, the Japanese chef, he may have had a bad morning. Maybe he had too much sake in the morning. I don't know. But like he was off. He was off on his game. And he was just so, like, lackadaisical, you know? I'm just like, come on, like, I want the shrimp, you know? Like, (laughs) throw it in my mouth. And uh, he's just like, you know, like, almost falling asleep. And, um, you know, like, I just just don't want to, I don't want to be that kind of Christian. You know? Like, you're at the the thing. Like, we're a community of people who believe in the resurrection. And part of what that means is that if you're not, if you're not happy about that, if, you're, if there's not some sort of energetic joy about what's coming to you, something, someone's saying something's off. What's off? Maybe we have meditated and chewed, which is what the word meditation means. We've been meditating and chewing on the wrong thing. 
You know, we often say, this is the culture. I, I grew up in, my, my parents would always say, you know, we are so blessed. We are so, we're so fortunate. And what that always meant was it was fiscal, it was financial, that we just had a bunch of stuff, you know, and that's what blessing meant. And it can mean that, but that's not what Psalm 1 says blessing is. Psalm 1 says that there's a, there's a gauge for blessing and fruitfulness and fullness, and it's actually based on a supernatural source. It's supernatural. Every commentator said of verse 3, virtually everyone said that this tree is a transplanted tree. That it doesn't belong necessarily at, at this river of, of running water. It receives its source of life from something that was an originally natural to its native environment. Now, here's what, here's what I want to say to you. In essence, we want this to be a community. We want this community to be about the fact that if you become a Christian here today, if you're not, and the fact that if you remain a Christian here today, if you are, are both supernatural acts. They're both as, as supernatural as the other. Whether you become or remain a Christian, because you are nourished by this eternal source that's not native to your environment. Both are nourished by this powerful source, the word, the Torah, the story of scripture, and it is the fool who goes around looking for happiness in circumstances, thinking that it's just around the corner. And it's the wise that knows what he or she already has. When Sarah and I were on this road trip once, we were on this road called the Avenue of the Giants. Anybody ever seen this? Mm-hmm. It was crazy. Um, trees, over 2,000 years old. Ancient trees, mysterious trees, fanghorn forest trees, you know, if you're familiar with Lord of the Rings. Um, what was so fascinating, if you ride down this road, is that there is this massive, like deep blue, beautiful river that this grove surrounds. And I think that is what Jesus does when you see him as the point of scripture and then carry that over into your life, that your, your life is about him. That it makes you eternal and it's, everything surrounds it. That it's nourished by him. A river of living water ever flowing that keeps you alive. And what we've been saying is that the point of the Ten Commandments is really Jesus, that he is the embodiment of the law. And he, the, the scriptures are the pathway by which you find him. And it's through Jesus that you can actually begin to delight in what God says. And without him, what begins to happen is that you actually begin to hate scripture because it becomes a burden. You hate the law because it becomes a burden. But when you see that God came down and did it for you so that you can try it on, well, then it becomes a delight because there is no fear of judgment. In verse two and three, you know, the difference between the wicked and the righteous, you can see it, is what they delight in, what they have joy in. And here's maybe the most intriguing thing about what what the psalm says, that the more you delight in God's ways, 
the more rooted you become, which doesn't mean that you always have pleasant circumstances, but in season, it says, you will flourish because you've been sustained by this river of living water. And the point is that God, obedience to God is actually beneficial to you. It makes you become more you. It makes you become more, in some sense, resurrected, solid, full of glory. And the promise is that of duration and that you will actually last and not wither away into nothingness like the chaff. You know, I, I cook corn all the time, you know, uh, because we're in Nebraska. But I love corn. Um, well, what, what happens with the husk, you know, when you put it on the grill? It eventually gets burned off and, it, you know, goes away. That's, what, that's the devolution of sin. That's what happens. When you go your way, it, it evolves and devolves into nothingness. Whereas the ways of God are eternal. The imagery here is of a tree planted firmly that can handle difficult situations because it's continually nourished in every circumstance. And, you know, some of you, I know because you've told me and I've seen it, you've experienced this, that when life gets hard, that's when you feel God's truth most. That's when you that's when you need God most and you call on him even more. That's how you know that you are being nourished by by the gospel. And listen, if that's not you, if when your life gets hard and you're feeling guilty that that's not you, that is the very point of why Jesus came. Jesus, Jesus came. Remember, Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Jesus died on a tree. And in Revelation, through Jesus, we see that tree again bearing fruit of healing and nourishment. And this is the story of the gospel. That if anyone, if anyone delighted in God's word, it was Jesus, right? My professors would say, like, if you pricked him, scripture would flow out of his veins because he was so immersed in it. He was so meditative on it. And if you just think about his way of life, I mean, just imagine he was a carpenter. And imagine doing work on trees every single day and thinking, I'm going to be nailed to these one day. Like this was his pattern. This was his destiny. And the reason why he did that was so that you could be included in the congregation. He was cut off from the holy assembly so that you could be included. He was considered cursed so that you could be blessed. And if if you think that you have the power to make yourself happy, you have to ask yourself, why did Jesus die if I could help myself and actually fix myself and make myself okay? I can't. But if you've learned that you can't make your life right, that you cannot make yourself delight in God's word and God's way over your own. Look, if you're the type of person like me, you've chosen the cynical path even when you knew the consequences, then this psalm is for you. Because this psalm is pointing to the Lord Jesus and saying we need him. We need him to be righteous for us. We need his name and not ours. Now, when that becomes your delight, and he becomes the point of the law and the point of your efforts, then you, you're ready to come back to the word and obey it in a totally fresh way. 
And it's not burdensome. It actually is light. It's like uh, trying on something new. Trying it out. Not to get anything from God, but just because it simply makes you more happy to do what God told you to do. Now, how does that work itself out? I'm going to give you four practical ways on how this works itself out as we come to a close of our series. Four practical ways on how you get this lived. Are you ready? Don't don't look for happiness in your life. Look for God. And happiness will eventually follow. If you look for happiness in things and circumstances, it will elude you. It'll be like chaff in the wind. You can't grab it. But look for God. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You got a lot of desires in there, don't you? I know I do. Secondly, give yourself to to the scriptures. And, And you did not just hear me say... You have to read the scriptures every single day. Nowhere in scripture does it say you got to read the Bible every single day because the first hearers didn't know how to read. They just heard it. And so what what someone has in mind is meditative practices. We all meditate on something all day long. And what scripture is saying is, look, take any portion of it, any truth of God that you know, any truth of God that you've heard from somebody and chew on it. Absorb it. That's what the word meditate means. Let your mind mull it over. It does not mean to empty your mind so that your body can calm down, although that might be an eventual result. But what this means, this is how you do it. You fix your attention on a truth of Scripture, and you continually bring it to your mind, and then you begin to practice it by saying... By telling yourself, if I actually believe this truth in my practical life, how would it change the way that I live and act and think? And then you begin to do it. (laughs) And it might it might be awkward at first, you know, like I've been trying to teach my kids how to ride a bike and uh, it's awkward at first. But you never know. You may wake up five years from now and actually enjoy riding a bike. You may wake up five years from now and you might actually enjoy thinking about somebody else more than you think about yourself. You don't know. You got to try it. You got to put it into practice. You got to sit in it day and night. We all meditate and chew on something. And scripture says, you chew on this, it'll sustain you throughout each season. Now, let's drill down deeper. Practical. Talking about being practical, right? If you have a particular bad habit or sinful pattern that you are currently aware of and you're making efforts to stop and say no to yourself, you guys know this. You can't just stop a behavior and expect it to stay away. Something is going to eventually fill that void. And so here's what you do. Notice the rhythms and patterns when you are most tempted. Notice them. Maybe even write them down. Maybe you say, you know, I get real depressed between the the times of 8 and 10 p.m. every single night. What's up with that? Be curious. 
And when you want to do the thing that you are trying to stop doing, when you are tempted to spiral into worry, when you are tempted to hate that person, when you are tempted to commit adultery, when you are tempted to covet somebody's house, this is what you do. Find a scripture, find a healthy pattern that reminds you of God's goodness and you rehearse it to yourself constantly. Not to brainwash yourself, but because this is who you truly are. You're not somebody that always needs something else. You're not somebody that sleeps with somebody else, somebody else's spouse. You're not somebody that, that spirals into worry because you're a resurrected person who will live forever in the presence of God. That's you. And what meditation does is it reorients you like, oh yeah, that's me. I'm not this, I'm that. Through Christ. Find, you know, find, find a friend, that, that friend that you know will always point you back to Jesus and say, hey man, hey girl, you know, we need to, <laughs> we need to get coffee this week. We, we need to get lunch. We need to get whatever you, a beer, whatever you do. But get with that person. If you find yourself spiraling and that, that person that helps you meditate on who you are and who your future self will be, find something. You got to find something to fill the void of the practice of sin that it will leave in your life so you don't go back to it. And so that you can develop a taste for the healthy food, for the good stuff. You know, many times um, when, when uh, folks from Muslim backgrounds convert to Christianity, the, the community within Islam is so strong and healthy in some ways that they actually have to be around Christians daily. They have to invest in, in the church like it's their family and be around them daily because they just can't handle what's been lost. It is the same with drug addiction. Like if you're entrenched in some sort of addictive pattern, there, there, is, there is a sense in which like I, I need this every single day and night. And it's the same even though all of us look more well-adjusted with these particular sins. But it's the exact same with workaholism and perfectionism and addiction to money. But when you seek to delight yourself in the Lord... Your disruption, it, it will be communal, the disruption. And the goal of somebody who believes in God is never to leave past relationships behind, but you stay engaged with other people in, in the world, but you are a completely different way now. Your Torah is different. Your source of life is different because your source is to be known by the Lord Jesus. Now, four, when life gets challenging, when you're in a hard season, double down on God. Put your roots down deeper and don't give up. This is one of the greatest ways, you know, if you actually believe in the gospel, that if you give up when circumstances get difficult, what that reveals about you is that you're treating God like he owes you something and like he's a slot machine. And the goal is to come to God for his own sake, just because you want God. And over time and season, when you come to him for his own sake, you will bear fruit because you are sustained by the eternal source of the gospel that this world cannot take away, no matter what.
I'm going to end with this story. After my freshman year in college, I studied abroad in London for two months. And I was raised in the church. My parents, my mom in particular, made me go to church essentially every week of my life. And this is the first time in my life where I was away from people. Look at this devil fly. I hate those flies. Um, <laughs> this is the first time in my life where I didn't have anybody checking up on me and no one was going to like tell somebody that I wasn't like, you know, doing the church thing. And so I got over there and, you know, like I try to read my Bible for like the first few days. But then I decided I was like, you know what, I'm just going to like do my own thing. And I'm not going to be around other Christians. And I got to be honest, like it was quite fun. And I initially didn't miss going to church or being around other Christians. And in fact, I kind of liked it. And then uh, I got I got real, real sad. And this is, you know, this is after I became a Christian, I, I started I started do things I had never done before. And though I wasn't aware of it at the time, I look back at that time in London as one of the darkest periods of my entire life. Which is terrible because London, you know, you go in London, everywhere is like a beautiful date scene, you know, it's like so awesome. And I look back at that time as just clear, like in the true sense, I felt so lost. Started asking identity questions, you know, like all these people over here, there's a whole country think that God's like a joke. Am I a product of my family and culture? Identity crisis stuff. And now most of us, you know, you hear that, I'm like, what, 20? Most of us in the room would say, you know, that's just normal. That's, you know, you're trying to figure life out. Everyone goes through that. You come out better on the other end. But I think what Psalm 1 is telling us is that when I decided to do my own thing, that was called putting yourself on the path of the wicked. I know we don't like to talk like that. But I thought that that was what was going to bring me happiness. Away from God. But eventually it devolved into so much emptiness that I I could barely even function. And this really is the clear teaching of Scripture. There are two choices. It's your way or God's way. It's your word or God's word. And Christianity isn't about just trying really, really hard to stay on the good path. Christianity says, we know what you chose. You chose the bad way. And truth be told, you kind of liked it. But there was one who didn't. Ever. And when you meditate on him, when you bring him to mind in every situation and circumstance, what begins to happen is belief in him. Not you. Belief in his work and his love and his enjoyment of you. Despite the twists and turns that our life goes, he's like, I see you. I see what you're doing. And what happens over time, day after day, year after year, what Jesus convinces you of is that you're you're made for him. That you're, you're made to be eternally sustained in him like a branch in a vine. And that's why Jesus can tell people, look, there is a happiness that you can have even when you mourn. There's a happiness you can have when people hate you. 
revile you, say all sorts of stuff about you that ain't true. There's a happiness that you can have when you're poor because it's sourced outside of this world in me, is what he says. That the whole gospel comes into focus at the end of the law and Jesus himself is the embodiment of that law. And the more you meditate on him, the more you bring him to mind, especially when life gets squeezed, the more you will see that he is far more nourishing than you ever thought. And he will sustain you. Now, if you want a little more, uh, go on the podcast. And uh, there's a, the, the title is very long. I made it way too long. I'm sorry. But it's just, you know, supplemental Psalm 1, meditative practice, something like that. Um, I'm going to pray that thus in this, the Ten Commandments series. And uh, we're going to do some, some stuff over the summer in the coming weeks. Um, and don't forget, after the service, we're going to have a dialogue, roundtable discussion about this property at City Light. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for, uh, we thank you for your law, for, for the ways in which you guide and you hone us for yourself. And it's not constricting when we have the Lord Jesus who gives us love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and self-control against such things. There is no law. And so, Lord, help us to see that the new commandment that you give us is that we ought to love one another. And Lord, help us to have energy to do that. Help us to have joy. Um, Help us to meditate and delight in thanksgiving on you today. Um, And to remember that we are resurrected beings. uh, That we sit eternally in the heavens.